Welcome to White Men Disagree About Sports. Today we will be talking a lot of stuff here, and for the first time we have more than two people discussing things, which will make editing even more fun. My name is <laughs> Alan, and I'm joined here with Cody and Jeff. How you doing, Cody? I'm doing pretty well. How are you guys doing? I'm doing pretty good. Jeff over here, enjoying my, my Sunday, relaxing a little bit, preparing for the, the nice work week starting tomorrow. Oh, but, you know, I, I want to talk some sports with my buddies first. All right. First up, Pro Football Focus has updated their 2021 NFL team win projection totals in light of the decision to extend the NFL season by a game, making every team uh, have a 17-game schedule. So I asked everybody to pick three projected win totals that they disagreed with and uh, kind of use it as a parlay for and to place a bet against uh, pro football focus projections so guys me personally i don't know what you guys saw uh, i'm always going to pick the steelers to go 16 and 0 or now 17 and 0 so my <laughs> first part of my parlay will be the steelers over pro football focus's projection of eight and a half wins uh any disagreements there no i, th I definitely can see the steelers easily going over eight and a half i didn't include it in my parlay because i don't like to to mix uh business and pleasure <laughs> and eight, and a, eight and a half is such a weird spot for the steelers because i put they, my money you know, where my mouth is baby yeah i mean <laughs> when we're looking just talent wise i think there's definitely like that's a nine or ten win team with just the talent that's still there even with a couple of the losses that they had in free agency yeah i, I kind of feel the same way i didn't they're not one of my picks either, uh, but they were definitely close because at eight and a half, it's kind of a kind of tempting to pick them to go over for that. But yeah, I think there's a lot of questions with the whole offensive line and running back room, and I think that's probably why they're. And then obviously Ben and his uh, whether he can handle another full season or not. But yeah, I think it's probably a decent pick. So that's interesting. I was looking at teams that had potentially a fragile starting quarterback and therefore uh, would likely to be going under their win total. So the Steelers kind of fit that bill <laughs> where they have a, a starting quarterback that if they get injured, uh, the team's win projection total would definitely take a hit. But we all from DeBerg, so I'm picking them Steelers going over <laughs> eight and a half wins this year. Uh, you know, we, we talked about it a little bit on the last podcast about how our the Steelers' road schedule is just brutal this year. Uh, however, I think they can take care of business at home and beat up on some of uh, their little brothers within the division. Yeah, I definitely think th it'll be really interesting how the AFC North shakes out and whether Cincinnati can kind of get together and start start punching up at some of the big dogs or if they're just going to get steamrolled by by every, uh, the rest of the division, give them all two wins. <laughs> all right, the second part of my parlay, in addition to the Steelers going over eight and a half wins this year, the Houston Texans will finish under their projected win total of four and a half wins. That is one of the lowest projected totals in the NFL, and I still think they will go under, um, you know, especially in light of the possibility of Deshaun Watson not starting at a quarterback for them this year. I think they are one of the worst rosters in the NFL, and I make it my personal shtick for the rest of this podcast for the 2021 season to just shit on the Texans whenever I can. Texans fans, don't worry. you got brighter days ahead. Uh, you, I think you can survive an awful season. But anybody disagree with Texans under four and a half wins? 
It's funny that uh, you bring up the Texans because when I was making mine just recently, I was scrolling through and I saw four and a half. I was like, that's an awfully low number, but I don't think the Texans can do it. They're not they're not one of my picks either, but I definitely uh, I definitely agree with your thinking there. I, I would not be comfortable picking the over for them. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm just looking at four and a half and I'm like, that's such a crazy number. But then it's like, wait, how many teams went under four? Like two teams last year went under four wins and that was in a 16 game season. Like it just blows my mind. Like how bad or no. Oh no. I forgot the A that was just the NFC three, five, teams, <laughs> five teams had under four and a half. Jeff, you're selling this, on me. This, this on me harder, man. Oh my god! Yeah, I'm getting. I didn't believe it either. But wow. The only way wow, I see the Texans, the only way I see the Texans passing up this four and a half win total is potentially the magic of the Tyrod Taylor effect, where you have Tyrod Taylor start two games for you, get injured, and then whatever rookie you have comes in and is an instant phenomenon. <laughs> That or you just really hope Jacksonville struggles with Trevor Lawrence right off the bat. Uh, I don't see Jacksonville being a. I don't. I, I can I can see them being I'm one of the get, five get worst. Them one but, win. I'm oh, just trying to get them one win. That's what you mean, the division opponent. That's what yeah, yeah. Just get. Like, <laughs> it's only four and a half. It's only five wins. So you gotta like look. You gotta be really strategic. Like they got a bottom of the AFC schedule, so they're gonna be playing a couple easy teams with young quarterbacks and I mean, Hey, if you can squeak out, but yeah, that under is starting to starting <laughs> to seem not as crazy as, as it once uh, looked when yeah. you first said that. All right. In about uh, seven months when the Texans are hoisting the uh, AFC South trophy, I will be looking like <laughs> an idiot. <laughs> the final part of my parlay. Um, I considered since I'm parlaying things to try to pick some teams within the division some will struggle, some won't, or potentially uh, teams with divisions that are facing each other. But I just looked at the totals and went with my gut on what I thought were the most likely independent of each other. The final part of my parlay, the 49ers will finish under their projected win total of 10 and a half wins. Now, I don't think the 49ers will be a bad team by any stretch, but 10 and a half wins is a really high win total especially for them being in their division and the likelihood of them drafting a rookie quarterback at number three overall. Um, does anybody know the last time a rookie quarterback had more than, let's say, 10 games because uh, we had an extra game in this season? Chargers with Herbert, and like he was playing about as lights out as any rookie quarterback could play, and he still only ended up going seven and nine. It'd be interesting to see how that number will change after the draft. And whether it goes up or down, depending on which quarterback they draft at three, at third, or if they end up moving Jimmy G either before, during, or shortly after the draft. I feel like Pro Football Focus punted on two divisions, the NFC West and the NFC East, because the spread between the best team and the worst team is only like two or three games in each division. And they just think anybody in the NFC West will go, will do really well. And everybody in the NFC East will do really poorly. <laughs> Yeah, it does look like that. Well, I, I can I can use that uh, little bit of talk about the the NFC East uh, to lead into my parlay, but definitely, Alan, I, I I like I like where your where your head's at with some of this. <laughs> Interesting to take two unders. I am shocked so, that none of y'all had the Steelers going over eight and a half. I'm interested to hear it, Jeff. What do you yeah. got? 
So I, I'll lead off with with my my only under that I had in my three team parlay, which was the Washington football team or new name to be determined. <laughs> They're not changing that. <laughs> under <laughs> under eight wins. When I was on the first time, I, I really was not speaking too highly of Ryan Fitzmagic, and I I just can't see him really turning around this Washington football team. I, it, they got a great defense, but I can. I really feel strongly that Dallas is going to come in and with Dak Prescott healthy on a nice big contract and just absolutely run the NFC East. Uh, I think the Giants are still a weak spot in that division, and, and the Eagles, especially after moving on from Carson Wentz, could also be weak. But I, I don't think that there's enough for Washington to get over that eight-win total. You know, I'm I'm going to disagree with you there. I think the football team's defense is still one of the best in the NFL, and we've seen what uh, an NFL, a good NFL defense can carry. Uh, Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph to eight wins in a 16-game season. So yeah, yeah. No, I'm going to I'm going to give some pushback there. You know, I, in a in a terrible division, of course, maybe there's it's top-heavy with uh, Dak Prescott coming in big for the Dallas Cowboys, but I I see them getting more than eight wins for sure. What do they get? Uh, they get ten or eleven. No, they they only they only won nine last year. Uh, so give them an uh, extra yeah. game. I, I say they get over eight. I don't, I don't want to gang up on Jeff here, but uh, I, I'm with gang a... up on him, man. He's fucking stupid. What are you saying, <laughs> Jeff? What are you saying? I I definitely think they they weren't one of my picks, but I think the Washington football team could definitely get over eight wins, especially after last year with their quarterback play. They got freaking lights out. Taylor Heineke almost took down the Super Bowl champs. Plus. <laughs> It's magic. He's. I think he's an upgrade from Alex Smith. I think they'll do better than eight wins. Another strategy I tried to take with my parlay is pick half games, um, so I could kind of feel on what either side of that. So if you're having the football team under eight, you're saying they're at seven or less. I'd feel a lot better about that bet if the under was eight and a half. Uh, but I, I, I don't think they'll get beat up on. I think they'll be like. I wouldn't be surprised if they won seven games, but I think that it's likely they're in that seven to nine to ten range. I definitely would feel more comfortable at eight and a half. I just can't see them getting to it, getting to that eight. All right, we'll uh, find out. But but I definitely that's that was the I'm, I was very hesitant to pick a lot of unders, and that's why I just went with one. But my uh, my first over also staying in the NFC is the Green Bay Packers over ten and a half. Ooh. I I think they are the dominant team in the NFC, excluding the defending Super Bowl champs. Uh, the fact that they're only getting ten and a half in that division, I mean, uh, another team, another team I'm going to harp on is those Lions, man. I <laughs> like that. That's easy to Bears. Who who knows what Andy Dalton's going to do at quarterback? The redheaded assassin. I hey man, I, I was one of the ones cheering for for the Steelers to to sign him, but I don't know if he can take down everyone they got there in Green Bay. Don't think they really made any big changes in free agency, lost any guys. Uh, they haven't really made any splash plays at the draft, but I, I think just building off what they already had last year, I, I think they're arguably the one of, if not the best teams in the NFC. I think I, I agree with this one here for sure, especially since I picked the Packers on last or two weeks ago's podcast for uh, my secondary team I'm cheering for. <laughs> But yeah, I mean they didn't they lost a couple pieces here and there, but they mostly stayed the same. Plus their defense at the end of last year looked a heck of a lot better than it did early on in the year. 
which is a, hopefully a good thing moving forward for him. So especially in that with the NFC North, I mean that's got not a not for sure going to get all those wins, but I mean, that's a pretty easy division. I I look at it in context of other teams projected at ten and a half wins: the Buffalo Bills, the San Francisco 49ers, and the Los Angeles Rams. And of any of those four teams to go over ten and a half, I'd definitely pick the Packers. Yeah, I, I like the. It was interesting to look at some of those teams that are projected in the teens uh, winning, and, and I actually thought it was pretty shocking to to not see Green Bay being projected. But when you're looking at the odds for it as well, it's at minus one forty three. So uh, Vegas is expecting the <laughs> over to hit on that one a little bit. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that over move move up prior to the start of the season. Final one was another over, and this is. This is the one that that scares me a little bit, which is the New England Patriots over nine wins. Uh, Another one where, I I mean, New England had a really uncharacteristic year last year finishing at, let me, was the exact? Seven and nine. Seven and nine. Wow. Uh, Just really uncharacteristic year for for what we've come to expect from New England. And obviously really correlated with, with losing Tom Brady and Cam Newton just... COVID issues aside, also not having a lot of time to kind of get used to the offense and, and match with Belichick in a way that resulted in wins. But I, I really can see, uh, especially bringing him back, clearly from the way that Cam has talked about, has a great relationship with Belichick. And obviously Belichick believes in him. Uh, you saw him really invest a lot in the, in this free agency, getting him two, two great tight ends uh, for s- some weapons. Uh, receiver as well really building up that offense to kind of enable cam newton to increase that passing game that that he's was a little bit lacking especially in the the touchdown area and hopefully that'll translate to some more wins and i think at nine they're they're a steal to go over that amount i don't know about a steal but i think baked into that over nine wins would be some faith in Bill Belichick and some faith in his offensive signings. I'm surprised you mentioned faith in Cam Newton. Um, that's pretty gone from my stance at this point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, great player, big guy. Uh, didn't look great throwing the ball last year, I think we could safely say. But, yeah, nine's not a terrible number. I think if you said over 11, you'd be crazy. I think if you said under six, you'd be crazy. But uh, certain, certainly surprising that we're debating New England being a kind of middling team you'd say in the context of an NFL landscape around nine wins uh, I don't I don't hate it I don't hate the number nine there again a little disappointed that you have uh, a flat number so it's not nine and a half it's not eight and a half but I feel I would feel a lot better with eight and a half for the over for the Patriots but I was I was on the fence with this too I very first glance I saw Patriots uh, nine and I was like oh I'm gonna take the under for sure but then I was like well Got Cam Newton for another year, so he can't be worse, I wouldn't think. And then they got him, got him some weapons, some some blocking. It could be better. I mean, he went seven to nine last year with those circumstances, so it'd be hard to see him not doing a few games better this year. All right, Kenny, I'm I'm excited uh, since you you were uh, on the attack against my picks. <laughs> I, I hope you're ready. Uh, let's let's hear what you got. Oh boy, okay. Uh, we'll start with my only under then. Pick the Baltimore Ravens at eleven for the under. Fuck them. I, last couple <laughs> years, the Ravens. Ravens have shown flashes of brilliance, but at the same time, they have glaring weaknesses, and 
we can ever fully put it together. And I just don't know if it's going to keep trending in the direction they want it to or if it's going to start falling apart. I'm, I just have like a gut feeling about the Ravens. I haven't been too sold on them the last couple. I mean, obviously they're a ridiculously good offense and good team, but I just haven't been super as sold on them maybe as the public, I guess. Of course, just being a Steeler homer and hating division rivals, you know, I I don't hate Lamar Jackson. I think uh, it's really cool what they've done with their offense and kind of zagged when everybody else in the NFL is zigging. Um, but you said they have no glaring weaknesses. I think their their defense is kind of a glaring weakness. Um, they what they lost their top edge rusher Matt Jude on this off season, and they're also uh, apparently going to lose their right tackle Orlando Brown. Um, I, I haven't really seen them add too many more pieces. You know, when you have Lamar Jackson, you can make anything happen. But you know, 11 wins is a high number, also. Uh, so you know, if it was if it was under under nine and a half, maybe I'd I'd be weary about it. Uh, I could I could certainly see this team getting double digit wins. Yeah, I definitely see that. I mean, coming off they had 11 wins last year, and especially with a, a couple of the games that the Steelers stole from them <laughs> last year, that we we all pretty much had no business. Uh, beating them but uh yeah like what you're saying i really feel like they every year they haven't really improved uh, i mean you saw this flashes of brilliance like you mentioned with lamar jackson really early on kind of putting it to some of those long-standing afc teams that that have been dominant uh and obviously seeing them uh make it to the playoffs the past two seasons ha- has been uh really huge i i Flat 11 for them. I, I could see them hitting that number still in a couple games that go their way. If, if maybe Cleveland or the Steelers regress a little bit, they could definitely steal two games from, from either either of those teams and, and kind of push their inflate their total a little bit above uh, that projection. So, yeah, I mean, I'd love them to go 0 uh, 17, though. So, I don't know, because that means two wins for the Bengals and Browns. So, uh, how about 3 and 17? <laughs> or 2 okay. and 17. I'll get two. <laughs> All right. I'm going to save one of my picks for last because I think it's going to be controversial. So this one I think might be a little less controversial. But I'm going to take the Arizona Cardinals over eight. My main reasoning behind this is I think they were a team that their record should have been a lot better last year just based on how good their offense is mostly. And their defense has a couple of stars. I mean, they added J.J. Watt, which is – he's not a not a superstar anymore, but it definitely adds some depth for them. Definitely a good – Good move, I think. They, I mean, they pay, they're paying them a lot, but I'm not getting into the, those logistics. Yeah, and they got a couple other good pieces on defense, but I really feel like their offense can really get it together, especially another year for Kyler, their OC, and their head coach to move in the right direction. I think they can definitely get more than eight wins. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that Murray-Hopkins connection. It's going to result in absolutely career, uh, career numbers for them when they're together interesting that i feel like that like alan was mentioning earlier that nfc west event division is just really anyone's game and, and so like are you seeing arizona as the top one or two team in that division is that what's kind of getting you to bet that over eight wins yeah that's a good point i think they are only eight. i mean it's a very close division in terms of their projections but i think it is a very kind of a wash in terms of the division like who knows what the rams are going to do with stafford 49ers are a huge question mark with their yet-to-be-draft pick. Seahawks, I mean, they've been pretty good recently, but Russ has been kind of inconsistent. And then there's all that, that drama between, supposed drama between Russ and Pete Carroll and all that. So, I, yeah, I really think it's a wash. I think 
that this is kind of anyone's division, but I think the Cardinals have the weapons to do it, and I think they're kind of going into this season with the most stability, I feel like, during the offseason compared to the other teams that have had bigger moves going on. The Seahawks haven't really had big moves per se, but you have that drama thrown in there too, which doesn't necessarily help. I don't hate the pick. You know, I I seriously contemplated picking Arizona over rather than San Francisco under. I just felt a little stronger about San Francisco. You know, they, they don't even have to be one of the top two teams in that division to get nine wins in a 17-game season. They could be the third best team and still get nine wins. So, yeah, I don't hate it. You know, I, I think it's interesting you mentioned that they have a little more stability than other teams. I hadn't really thought about that and how that could contribute to success. One thing about the Cardinals I didn't too much like, though, is them signing A.J. Green. I do think they overpaid for him, and I don't think he's what he used to be. He's hopefully he's not more name than game. I would love to see a maybe not peak. That's probably unrealistic to expect, but, you know, a pretty good version of A.J. Green and DeAndre Hopkins on the same field together with Kyler Murray thrown to him. That'd be super exciting. Pretty glad they dumped Kenyon Drake. Not that I hate Kenyon Drake at all, just you know, paying running backs is something that this podcast is philosophically opposed to. And <laughs> <laughs> so they, they signed, they replaced him with James Conner for just over $1 million. I think, I think that was a great move. Cardinals definitely trending up. For sure. And I guess we'll get to my last pick so I can get this shit storm over with. I'm picking the Bengals over six and a half. <sighs> and six and a half I, is such a low number. <laughs> that's my main reasoning behind it. And I actually just saw a stat, which is probably heavily biasing me on uh, Twitter before, like, an hour ago. Of the, I mean, it's not necessarily a good stat, but I think, like, 22 out of 34, 22 out of 30 or something like that of the Bengals' last 30 games, they've been within one score of winning or were in the lead and then ended up losing by one score, something like that. But basically, a lot of their games are very close. So they're already not far off, necessarily, from getting a few more wins. Another year with Joey Burrow and Zach Taylor, I'm assuming would be helpful and then them either drafting a assuming drafting an offensive lineman a tight end or a stud wide receiver either way will definitely help the offense and even if they draft go wide receiver and don't go offensive line for burrow that could at least hopefully help change the way teams have to defend against them maybe help burrow like a hit and then with the the depth for the offensive line in the draft Hopefully the Bengals can take advantage of that too. I think the Bengals, I don't know for sure that they're going to do it, but I think they have a lot of potential to be over six and a half. Yeah, I definitely can see them improving from their their record last year at at only four wins. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and assume Burrow is going to be healthy for for the majority of the year. So definitely kind of expect to see more out of him. And obviously any extra time to learn the offense is going to be great for a young quarterback. And obviously – having that lower record last year it's going to get them some really nice draft capital this year that they can invest some some early picks and some guys to to build the team around burrow and i i don't think that's the the craziest thing at, at six and a half and obviously adding the extra game really makes any of these overs seem so much more possible i'm, I'm interested to see see what alan thinks where he is thinking so highly of the Steelers. <laughs> All right, well, they're getting two losses off the bat. Facing the Steelers, bet. No, I, I, six and a half is a pretty low number. Uh, Cody mentioned that many of their games have been decided by one score or less. And, you know, you'd, you'd like to think sometimes that's luck, but if you're losing a lot of one-score games, that is a pretty big sign of poor coaching. 
you know, I don't know much about Zach Taylor. I can't say much about him at the moment and whether he's a good coach or not. But if you lose a lot of one-score games, uh, it's usually on coaching. It could be somebody else on the offensive staff and not the head coach. But I, if the if the Bengals don't surpass six and a half wins, you got to think they're going to be trying to find a new head coach at the end of the year. Yeah, I agree. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, Zach Taylor is on the thinnest ice you could be. Now, if you're talking yeah, about got... the draft and how they could improve, they are insane if they do not select an offensive lineman at number five. Uh, you know, maybe I'm just eating up the media garbage. I seem to do that a lot. But you, <laughs> your your quarterback gets hurt from taking too many hits, and you use a, a very high draft pick not to protect him. Like, what are we doing here? Isn't the main thought process behind not taking Sewell or whoever's available to break for number five is that there's a pretty good depth for offensive linemen in this class, and they could get some pretty serviceable guys later on that are. I don't care about off. serviceable. I want the best. Well, I know, but I'm saying like I don't I haven't done enough research into it, but I'm saying I've read some things saying like the next three offensive linemen are within the same realm, same tier as Sewell, not quite as good, but pretty good still. So they like, should trade back. <laughs> I mean, they they want Jamar. Yeah, well, I think that'd be silly. Unless Joe Burrow's pressuring them, you want to make your quarterback happy. Uh, you know, I yeah. Yeah, I I would be as a if I was a Bengals fan, I would be upset if they went anywhere other than offensive tackle with their first selection in the draft, whatever it ends up being. You know, maybe they are just holding out and waiting until they're on the clock and if one of those, you know, top QB prospects is available, maybe they're just waiting for that to get a deal done. Yeah, I, I think that brings up a, a great point. Sorry, uh, about how if who's going to be making moves on draft night, especially when there's so many quarterbacks that are right that outside of obviously uh, Trevor Lawrence and then probably Zach Wilson at one and two. About kind of seeing like where different teams have different grades and if they're worried about someone else taking them. Like, I don't think it's a crazy thing for for Cincinnati to be listening for calls from some of those teams that might just be two or three picks away. Yeah, I mean, if they can trade back and get more capital to build around Burrow, then I that's I mean, that's what I think would be the best move. But obviously you never know if Burrow wants to be with Chase or if they just really get in the flashy weapon, thinks would make them happy, which Bengals haven't been known for making the best moves. So you never know. I tell you, I really like the combo of one AFC or one AFC North team under and one AFC North team over. Good job. Good job by Cody there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that when I was making my picks. I was like, all right, I got to – because I was, I was eyeing up both of those, but I didn't know if I wanted to pick either of them. And I was like, all right, I'll just pick both of them. That'll work. <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's just keep in the AFC North and talk about Jadavion Clowney signing a one-year deal with the Browns. You know, it is not a one-year deal. It is technically a five-year deal with four voidable years with a <laughs> maximum value of, I think, $11 million, you know – I am of the camp that, they, like I said earlier, Clowney might be more name than game. Hopefully he's not. I don't wish that on anybody. But uh, if you're paying $10 million for an edge rusher, you probably want to get at least double-digit sacks out of him in a season. So what would you set Jadevian Clowney's over-under sack total with the Browns this year? I am going to set it at having Garrett on the other side. Maybe taking some attention away, I would assume. I'm going to set it at eight. Under. Yeah. I didn't care what you said. I was going to say under. <laughs> <laughs> they get the extra game, though. That's nice. Yeah, I'm, 
I'm yeah. trying to look and see how many how many sacks he had. Do you have his sack I, number? I, I don't. Yeah. I think I think he's never broken ten in a season, or maybe he's only broken ten I once got in a season. I got him right here. Yeah, yeah. Starting from 2015 to 2020, it's four and a half, six, nine and a half, nine, three, and zero. Yeah, and you got to think some of those years he was on the other end of TJ or TJ on the other end of JJ Watt. So I don't think the Miles Garrett effect can be too pronounced. Um, you know, yeah, I, I mean, it comes down to injuries. I don't think he's not he a has, talented player. But. Yeah, he has only played uh, 16 games in one of those seasons I named. And last season, he only played eight games. I think one of the reasons Cleveland's bringing in a guy like that is just to kind of bolster that defense. I, I think the AFC North is kind of, well, in previous years was known for having these great defenses. And they saw teams like Pittsburgh that really had two great edge rushers. And just kind of seeing the benefit that it had for uh, someone like Bud Dupree, having T.J. Watt on the other side really helping get his numbers up. And also even some of your cornerbacks, you can kind of add those dynamic corner blitzes if you have a guy uh, that's pretty good off the edge, is going to take a lot of the coverage, maybe even get a double team here in a, uh, once in a while. And you're going to have those open uh, corner blitzes, uh, more sacks for them, more pressures on the quarterback. So I definitely kind of see Clowney maybe not the sack generator, but more just kind of netting netting them more quarterback pressure from some of their other positions. I could see that. I think Clowney is definitely an upgrade over replacement. You know, I'm not an NFL GM, so I can't comment how much value $10 million is worth at that position. Maybe that's just what they had to pay to get the guy they wanted. If I were to set the over-under on sacks, you know, thank you, Cody, for giving me those sack numbers. That really helps. I'm going to say four and a half. I'd set the over under at four and a half, which kind of stinks that I'm using like an incremental number so you can land on either side, but you are able to get half sacks. So that... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's true. Uh, one quick thing to point out, it's not sack related, but he also had some okay forced, forced fumble numbers. He had four in 2019. He still managed one last year in his eight games, and he otherwise played pretty bad last year. That one being against Chase Claypool in a jet sweep. <laughs> That's about all I got with that. I just thought he had some decent force fumble numbers. Yeah, still, uh, even even with, like, looking at his performance and not kind of living up to some of the hype from his first few years, uh, still not looking forward to seeing him on the opposite line of scrimmage if you're any <laughs> team in the AFC North. Yeah, I'm sure Ben will love that. <laughs> all right. Speaking of other NFL defensive linemen, Los Angeles Rams star defensive lineman Aaron Donald, Pittsburgh native on April 11th was accused of beating up a gentleman on the south side, outside of a an after-hours nightclub. The news was, I believe, broken by TMZ, and a lot of the initial speculation was that Aaron Donald had taken a liquor bottle from a man that the man purchased and got into an altercation. Now, this was later found to be not true, and video showed that there was uh, minimal involvement of Aaron Donald in the altercation, but it got me thinking... Which NFL player do you think you could take in a Southside brawl? If I were to pick any NFL player to take in a brawl outside After Hours Club, Aaron Donald would be one of the last people on my list. Not only is he an NFL player, he is one of the strongest and largest NFL players there is. Yeah, no, yeah. I can de- I can definitely say I, I I have a few of those friends that when a couple couple drinks have been had and it's getting a little late in the night there. They're getting a little talkative. They're, the bravado is a little bit stronger, peacocking a little bit. 
Uh, luckily, we tend to stick to the North Shore, where it's a, a much calmer atmosphere than the South Side. You see a guy like Aaron Donald, uh, you turn around. <laughs> he, he is someone you, you notice from across the bar, and you are going to avoid him at all costs. And if, if a friend's going in to have a few words, well, there's plenty of other friends to, to make. <laughs> so, personally... I stand about five foot ten, and I don't want to know my weight because I've been in, in lockdown for a year, and that'd just be depressing. But let's—it's safe to say under two hundred. So, trying to think of any NFL player, I think I could take in a fight, and the list is short. You know, a quick cop out would be to go pick kickers. I have a list of players. It's not just one NFL player. Uh, we're not in any particular order, but the first I'm going to mention is Green Bay Packers punter J.K. Scott. He's a very tall man. Played. He was a punter at. University of Alabama, and I have a very, I have it from a very credible source that J.K. Scott is a very thin person that just eats spinach. So I'm hoping that I can just wave some spinach in front of his face and distract him and knock him out before he notices me. He looks like a pussy. <laughs> I also, I, you know, all right, fuck it. He's never gonna hear this shit. He's fucking. He's like a super preppy asshole. But it seems that from from what I've heard, I took a math class with my wife and. She tells me he was uh, consistently eating spinach in the math class. She says uh, one one perk about being really bad at math was that I got to take it with football players. <laughs> <laughs> I you know I didn't. I had this written down and I was like I shouldn't say this, man. But I was like fuck it, nobody's gonna hear this shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, second on my list, uh, Rodrigo Blankenship, mostly for uh, the recognition. Uh, also on my list. Ah, oh, there we <laughs> go. <laughs> Oh, good old four eyes. <laughs> so the, my tactic for Rodrigo would just be to take his glasses off, and then he's not going to be able to see shit. I, I, I hate saying Rodrigo, though, because he seems like such a genuine guy. We share a lot of hobbies. I, I heard he's a big fan of Lego. So you almost don't want to fight him, but you know that he's not going to want to fight you. And so it's easy. He's going to be on the defensive the whole time. Uh, you're, you're definitely on the right end going up against him. And relative to some of the guys that you see in the NFL. He, I, I'd probably say he's on the, the less uh, physically imposing side. Who you take him, yeah. Rodrigo was actually my pick, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> Man, poor guy. <laughs> it's definitely just because he's he looks like the stereotypical one small kicker, too. He's got the, the specs, which I, I love Rodrigo. I think he's actually a pretty cool dude, like Jeff was saying. But if I see him standing out there next to Aaron Donald, I'm going to go <laughs> knock his ass on the ground. All right, so I tried to game the system while researching this, and I researched the 1943 Steagles roster. <laughs> and let me tell you, based on height and weight, I don't think I could have taken any of the Steagles players. <laughs> that was a, one thing that I looked up. So naturally, uh, I, I'm also a very imposing five foot ten, under 200-pound man. I, I looked up, well, who are some of the shortest guys? And, oh, were there some really beefy running backs that are <laughs> under 5'6 that I had? I would have no business. But one that kind of stuck out for me was Trendon Holiday, infamous uh, punt, punt and kick returner. He, his measures were 5'5", five five, 165. And I think Ooh. that's just the right amount to tempt me where I might have enough weight and height on him to do some damage. He was known for being a speedster, but I'm going to assume that uh, if we're meeting in the south side, he's had a few drinks in him, and hopefully the dulling of his senses might be enough where I can just kind of use that leverage against him. 
I don't know, Jeff. I'm looking up pictures. He looks like he's athletic. Better watch. <laughs> yeah. So I, I kind of went a similar route really looking up looking up short guys. Uh, one of one of my homer picks was Dree Archer. I think it was like a third round pick by the Steelers in 2014. Only spent two years in the league. I don't think he's played since. Uh, five foot eight, 173 pounds. But since that was a pretty niche reference, I went. My final final person on my list is Tavon Austin. Five foot eight, 180 pounds. You know, I thought of Tavon Austin, and then I saw his weight and thought, hmm, nah, he could probably still kick my ass. But again, yeah, if he's standing next to Aaron Donald, <laughs> yeah, it, it, uh, the the real point to hit home is by no business is anyone looking to fight Aaron Donald. Even DK <laughs> Metcalf probably isn't one to square up with Aaron Donald. <laughs> Any other? Any other NFL players we want to uh, tweet at and challenge them to fights? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm good. Great. So recently the NFL has discussed opening jersey number options. Um, this is in light of some issues that teams were facing where they've had too many retired jersey numbers and the restrictions on which jersey numbers certain position groups could wear made it very difficult for players to find numbers they'd liked. So I think it's pretty interesting. Not only are they opening up jersey number options they are extensively opening jersey number options where i believe running backs wide receivers and tight ends under the current proposal will be allowed to wear numbers 1 to 49 and 80 to 89 personally i'm not too opposed to this any other thoughts i don't really have anything to defend this besides just looking at wide receiver wearing 35 just something about it just doesn't look good from the optic end so I'm just going to say a big boo to that. And, <laughs> you know, don't really any defense. Just don't like the look of it. I, I Even having some of the wideouts at the lower numbers kind of doesn't sit well with me. I'm, I'm used to the 80, old Heinz Ward at 86, 80, 88, all, all those like nice-looking 80s numbers. Always, I thought, looked great on wide receivers. But, yeah, just uh, not a fan. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty indifferent about it, to be honest. I... I like having, I mean, it wasn't even like this before as much, but I like having, knowing what number, like, it's, it helps more, I guess, for the casual people watching, too, like, what number a position group is, so, like, so when they're all standing there on the line, other than the quarterback, running back, and receivers, you kind of don't know necessarily if Sue might be a tight end, or a fullback, or a running back, or anything like that, and I just think it, it kind of is all just a one man blur now, and kind of makes the numbers more, I mean, not that they were meaningful before, but it makes them even less meaningful to me. As a grown man that purchases sports jerseys of other grown men to wear myself, I'm both concerned and excited that, one, I will be able to buy discounted jerseys for players that have changed their numbers, <laughs> and two, as somebody that might own a jersey and have a player change their number, you know, it's kind of weird, right? I'd probably be like wearing these to like live events, and if people have a different number on, you know... I, I care what people think about me. I don't want to be made fun of for having the wrong jersey. But also, if I'm if it's something I'm just gonna wear around the house, like I still have an Eagles Lashawn McCoy jersey that I don't I I got for twenty five bucks and I'll wear that shit proudly. Yeah, you could just think of it as like a limited edition type thing. Too. Limited edition. I love it, Cody. We gotta get yeah. you in, into uh, the sales department. <laughs> yeah, I didn't take marketing, but I think I could do it. All right, what number would you wear if you were an NFL player? Interesting thought. I mean, uh, as the sole football player, my, my number was 25. 
Uh, I enjoyed the those twenty numbers. Unfortunately, what position could I fit in a running back position? Probably my measurables are the closest to that. But yeah, any any of those twenty numbers, I I think look good on a on a jersey. I would be number nine. It's the best of the single digits. Hmm. Ooh, debatable. I'm a I'm a fan of the zero. It's a, the best simply because it's the largest. That that would be an interesting thing. I, I think opening the the zero for NFL jerseys. I don't see why not. It's a digit. The or there <laughs> there is no meaningful ordination of NFL jersey numbers. They are simply for referee like and st- stat keeping purposes. So I don't see any problem with zero. Yeah, might as well if you're gonna do one through nine. Any other? I mean, the big NFL thing coming up. We got the draft, and you know what eight. other draft we just had is the WNBA uh-huh. draft that recently happened. The Dallas Wings, uh, interestingly enough, held the number one, number two, number five, and number thirteen overall selections. In which there are twelve selections in each round. So imagine holding what, what was that? Twenty-five percent of the first-round picks. And holding number one and number two, you know, everybody's going to say that the Dallas Wings won the draft. Of course, they had so many first-round picks. But I don't tell you, the steal of the draft to me was the Los Angeles Sparks selecting Jasmine Walker out of Alabama, number seven overall. So I, I will say, going back to the times when I was on be a GM mode in Madden, I see having the first and second overall pick, and the first thing that comes to mind is how many first-round picks I could get for trading both of them away. <laughs> and I just think uh, that that would have been crazy. And, I mean, that would have been unreal for them to do. But I, I was going back looking at a couple of the, the picks for this WNBA draft. And being a very casual basketball fan myself, I'm shocked to not see anyone from UConn drafted in the top 30, especially with the storied program that they have. And it, just as someone who's really casually, I, I feel like, there's a problem there. Like, what what's happening? Why are we drafting these these uh, ladies? Good point. You know, I feel like someone's going to reach out to us and let us know that that's not really how it works. Maybe there's a different league that players like to go to, or maybe a lot of the NC top NCAA players for the women's program are not looking to make basketball a career yet they're so successful at it in college. So, uh, you know, the Dallas Wings holding the number one and number two overall picks. Like, how much does it suck to be picked second? It's like you you went to the same team, right? That there that has to cause some like locker room friction at the very least. Do you think the teams reached out to both players they would be taking and tried to work something out, or do you think that the Dallas Wings were showing true preference for the person they picked first over second? I think that these athletes are mature enough to understand that. I I don't know. You never know who how people are, but I would think they'd be mature enough to understand that it's just. One, someone has to be picked first either way. And two, teams might just have a, a need for a specific position more than something else or a specific skill set or something. So it might just be a more less of a you're better than her thing and more of a you fit our scheme or our team better thing. All right, Cody, who won the draft? Dallas. It's got to be Dallas. No, when you get one it's the L.A. Sparks. Steel, <laughs> number seven overall. 
I'm impressed we stretched that out as okay. long as we did. Pivoting to the NFL draft, it is coming up in a few weeks. We will be having a podcast to discuss the first round in its entirety before it happens, and we will all be creating our own mock drafts, and I will be developing a scoring system for bragging rights. Uh, that'll be super interesting, but today we're not going to be talking too much about specifics. Uh, I just have a couple notes I'd like to go over. Um, first, I saw an article posted a bit ago that I believe was clickbait fodder, but I thought it was an interesting point. They projected seven wide receivers to go in the first round. Um, regardless of whether that will happen or not, I think it demonstrates the depth at that position this year in the draft. So looking at it, you two, I'd like to ask you, how many wide receivers do you think will be drafted in the first round of this year's NFL draft? I haven't done too much research too far down with it, but yeah, six or seven. Could be real close between Ooh, first. I think you guys got clickbaited real hard. I think that's an insane number. I, I don't see really that many teams needing a wide receiver and wanting to go after that in the first round. I think there's going to be a lot of teams looking for quarterbacks early on. Some of those Stud wide receivers are, are going to fall a little bit later into the draft, and I think there's going to be enough room in the second round to pick some of those guys. So I, I can't see seven going in the first round. I think that's a, a very high number for one position, especially wide receiver. What's your number? No, number? Uh, I'd say four or five seems much more reasonable. You say five, but say we're falling to clickbait fodder at seven. Five's a high yeah. number. I got it at four. I think four's a pretty high number. I said but... four or five. Yeah, you said, oh, you said, but if you're considering five a possibility, you can't say seven's insane. Yeah. I'm saying six. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Jeff, you're lo I'm locking you into five. I'm going with four. Okay. You don't get a choice. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good, Mr. Host. <laughs> I can edit this out and make you say whatever I want. <laughs> How good's my Jeff voice? <laughs> All right. Second second on the agenda, which college would have the most first-round picks? Personally, I went with Alabama, having a quarterback and two wide receivers and a cornerback. That brings a total to four at least, and I think a couple others might go in the later first round. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, Alabama's always going to be a contender championship team that had a lot of guys in the junior and senior class declaring. Obviously, they, they get plenty of good recruits, and obviously the results speak for themselves. They, they won. Interesting to see more would be if they can get more than two guys in that top ten. Ooh. Would be a pretty impressive thing. I, I don't see it, I think but it's, I definitely think they I don't, are. I don't know where their quarterback's going to go. I think he could go top ten. You've seen you've seen cornerbacks go as high as four before, so and as low as the first the first DB in the draft two or three years ago I think was like twenty seventh or something ridiculously low. Yeah, oh, why couldn't that have been a year when the Steelers were looking to draft a defensive back? <laughs> I remember the year we drafted Artie Burns. There were like seven in the top twenty five, and we ended up with Artie Burns. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's got to be Alabama, right? I mean, there's a, is there any other school that'd be even be close? Uh, Clemson, maybe. LSU could have two wide receivers go in the first round. No one with the diversity that Alabama's going to have, be having a quarterback, wide receiver, and a defensive player. Yeah. I think. Uh, that's what happens when you win a championship. Yep. <laughs> Let's talk some specifics. 
Who are the Pittsburgh Steelers going to take number 24 overall? There is much speculation. They will select running back Najee Harris out of Alabama. Again, that's another player we didn't even mention. I think that is complete nonsense. I Everybody gets upset by it. I think that's something to just get the people going. I don't think there's anybody in the organization or close to the organization that believes they're selecting a running back at 24. Yeah, I, I'm I'm in the same same mind or thought process that you don't really select running backs in the first round anyways. and So I definitely don't think they should. I haven't paid attention enough in the past about all the Steelers draft picks to know if they would, if they are even thinking about it, or if they're going to lean more towards an offensive line or some other area of need. I see Mike Tomlin and Kevin Colbert in a draft room. I know for a fact that the first pick is going to be a defensive player, and we need an edge guy to replace Bud Dupree. So I just think it's the most logical first-round selection to be edge rusher. I, I don't know uh, if the, the depth is there. A couple guys get picked early on if there isn't a guy that's on the Steelers draft board that's above a running back, but I have to imagine that, that they're going to look to fill that hole on the defense left by Bud Dupree first, especially with that really big correlation right after he went down and kind of the Steelers season turning for the worst last year. Come on, Jeff. Why can't you disagree with me? I also have them selecting an edge rusher <laughs> to pick one. I, I picked Quiddy Pay out of Michigan. You know, call it for what it is, but I, I think that the Steelers love drafting within the Big Ten, whether that's because they're local or because they're, that's the kind of program they like to select from. Yeah, I also went with edge rusher, man. I Tomlin's a defensive head coach, and that seems to be where they like to go in the first round. I will say one interesting thing kind of looking past the first round would be whether Steelers look to fill the center hole left by Pouncey's retirement before they even look to have a running back. And I don't think it's a crazy thing to think that either, that I could see even a center going before a running back pick for the Steelers. Hmm. You know, Cody, you telling me that some say that there's depth at offensive line in this draft makes me happy because I believe that is an area of need for the Steelers. Um, perhaps we could wait till after the first round. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think the Steelers picks gonna be flashy at all. Uh, I, I think all this running back talk is just to get the people going. But if they do select a running back, it will certainly get the people going, myself included. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, it's kind of the same argument I made with the Bengals, but. I've I've heard a lot of people's arguments for picking like Najee Harris at 24 is that the fact that there is a pretty good amount of offensive line depth after the fact, but I'm just going to make a pick. They're going to pick tier offensive lineman Landon Dickerson, and that's my choice. Are you kidding me? I'm just trying to disagree here, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's the the problem that happens when you start talking Steelers. Steelers are going to go 17-0, win the Super Bowl, Mike Tomlin's going to draft seven Hall of Famers. Bet. I mean, I can't <laughs> I can't say it any differently. That's, like, just fact. They're going <laughs> to get lucky and pick up some uh, star quarterback in round six. <laughs> yeah. What a steal. Oh. This guy, wrong lady. <laughs> Great. 199th overall. Wrong lady. Wrong lady. <laughs> uh, 198th. I realized ha- having that honor really, really limits you. <laughs> with names that you can make up for his last name. Yeah, that sucks. 199th picks have probably been getting picked on in training camp ever since 2004 or 5. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, one thing I wanted to mention, kind of looking at the draft, especially we had a non-quarterback Heisman winner this year, but it's still the belief that the consensus number one, and I, I mean, I would bet all the money in the world that Trevor Lawrence is the first overall pick, but just kind of wondering what it's going to take for a non-quarterback to be drafted first overall. I, I looked it up, and from 2009 to 2021, assuming Trevor Lawrence goes number one, there's only been three non-quarterbacks that have went first overall. Let me name two them. of them being defensive ends. Yeah, we got we got Clowney, Garrett, and I gotta think of the third non-quarterback first overall. Cody, you can chime in if you think of it. I don't think I'm gonna think of it, but tackle a offensive tackle. Oh. I think it was. It was uh, pre. Was it Eric Fisher, Kansas City? Yes, it is. I, yeah, I was trying to look. God. I was about to look up the exact year, but yeah, that was that was it. And I just I can't fathom a, a time where there's a guy that's going to be better than drafting a quarterback first overall or trading out of the first overall for a team that wants to pick a quarterback. I just think that's just the most logical thing that's going to happen yeah i see what was that three and 11 years yeah i could see that happening like once every three or four years i think that's a decent rate um you know i mean when you get a generational talent you 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 gotta take them i think the success i don't know it'd be interesting to compare the success rate of top five non-qb skill position players to top five qbs in the draft but i think it also just would depend on a year like a light qb year too with the drafts and even then, it's still hard to get a desperate team wanting to pick someone. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's just a perfect storm every every now and then. You get bad QB class and a really good athlete somewhere else. It's just crazy that uh, you can have a year where it's like, oh, I think this, this year's QB class isn't going to be anything really up to snub. And then you get a year where someone like Joe Burrow comes alive. And now those guys he thought were a given first overall or top three pick. Now they start moving back, and you're at an extra quarterback. So I just always think there's going to be a quarterback that people can argue could go first overall, and even you could sell to another team to draft him first overall for if you wanted to trade out of that. I could hey, see the oh. argument, but like uh, what in reality, I believe a non-QB will be drafted first overall every like three to five years, in my opinion. Oh, uh, give me a give me a year, give me a year, man. How many? <laughs> Five, four. Ah, oh, shit. Every four years. Split the difference. Disagree. How long do I have? <laughs> shit. When, when did Garrett go? That was about four years ago now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, five, five, six. <laughs> Good shit, boys. Good uh, stuff. Appreciate you guys joining me. Dude. Yep. No problem. Happy to have the third on here. It was nice. Editing job will be interesting. I will see you in later. Yeah, see you guys. Yeah.